Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. The church at Laodicea had become lukewarm in part because they had substituted supposed wealth for worship of the Savior, and as such, they'd become blind to their true condition. An important lesson can be drawn from this, and we'll join Pastor Phil today in Revelation chapter 3 to hear more. Warren Worsby, Bible commentator, said, and I quote, Laodicea was a wealthy city and a banking center. Perhaps some of the spirit of the marketplace crept into the church so that their values became twisted. Why is it that so many church bulletins and letterheads show pictures of buildings? Are these the things that are most important to us? The board at at the Laodicean church could proudly show you the latest annual report with its impressive statistics, yet Jesus said he was about to vomit them out of his mouth. Well, Jesus said they were also blind. They were blinded by their self-righteousness and pride. They were blind to their true spiritual condition, as we've already said. Um, Pride will do that. Jesus said, look, Don't say to your brother, let me help you with a speck in your eye, and you've got a log hanging out of your own. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to help your brother remove the speck out of his eye. The log, that's pride. That's self-righteousness. It blinds us to our true spiritual conditions. He noted I had the Pharisees and scribes in mind when he said this. Because they were the ones always picking out everybody else's sins. Yet they themselves were completely blinded by their own pride and self-righteousness to their own sin. So this church was completely blinded to their true spiritual condition. And then he said they were naked because they clothed themselves in their own works of righteousness. And folks, God will not acknowledge the works of the flesh. He doesn't even see them. He will not acknowledge them. He will not reward us for them. Unless we are doing the works that we do for him in the power of the Spirit, for the love of Christ, and not for the glory of man, we are not going to be rewarded. God doesn't even acknowledge them. That's why this church was naked. I'm not saying that they didn't have good works going on, social programs. It's just that it was all work of the flesh. And Jesus didn't acknowledge any of it. Many people today make the mistake we've just talked about. They make the mistake of thinking because they've got a wonderful job, a nice house, they have good health, they must be right with God. That God's hand must be upon them because look at how I'm being blessed. Sometimes the goodness of God leads, to, leads a person to repentance, by the way. Sometimes you've gotten off into sin and God still blesses you because he's trying to get your attention. And he's a good God. He's patient. He wants to give you time to see the error of your way, turn around, get right with it. But physical prosperity is not always an indication that God's hand is upon you. I mean, sometimes the most godly people are going through the worst time physically, financially, and sometimes the worst sinners are enjoying tremendous prosperity. You can't use that as a gauge. And yet people do it all the time, don't they? 
You try to talk with them. You're living with your boyfriend. You're living with your girlfriend. You're cheating in your business. You're doing this. You do, God, this is wrong. God says it's wrong. How can he bless you? How can he? Wait a minute. We love each other. We, we love each other. God understands. And look at how we're being blessed. Since we've moved in together, two incomes, bought a bigger house. Our business is prospering. Certainly God is approving of our relationship. See, that's deceptive. And the devil will use that all the time. I don't want to know what's going on outside. I want to know what's going on inside. What's going on in your heart? That's what God is looking at. There's an inscription on a cathedral in Lubbock, Germany, which I think accurately describes what Jesus wants to say to this last day's Laodicean church in our country. Again, it's made up of many different denominations of churches. Liberal, apostate, doing their own thing, making up their own rules, that kind of thing. Here's what I believe he would say to them if he were here in person. This was written on a cathedral in Germany. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to you. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me might and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. So Jesus then gets into the exhortation. He said in verse 18, He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Remember we said earlier in the letter, Jesus Christ came to this church as the great physician. He came to a sick church, a church that didn't realize they were sick. The worst patients in the world are the ones who don't realize they're sick. And Jesus comes to a church that he knows is very sick spiritually. And they don't see it. They don't know they're sick. They think they're doing pretty good, just like the Pharisees. Pharisees thought they were very healthy, spiritually speaking. And Jesus said, these guys are are very sick. But he comes to this church as the great physician, and he comes with an accurate diagnosis of their spiritual condition. Now, in verses 18 and 19, he begins to to, um, prescribe the cure. He says, first of all, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Jesus says, my counsel, or actually my prescription is this, that you first of all do what? That you buy. Wait a minute. Buy? Look, the Lord isn't speaking literally here. Because everything God has that he wants to give to us is just that. It's a gift. It's all about grace. We can buy nothing from God. God has nothing that's for sale. He gives everything away, including the most precious thing, which is salvation. He gives it away to those who come and ask him by faith. So what did Jesus mean when he said, we get got to buy gold and this and that? Look, he was speaking somewhat sarcastically, just a little bit. He was talking to a group of people that thought money could buy them anything. People that put money in the place of God in their lives. And he was basically saying, look, you think that you can buy happiness, you can buy fulfillment, you can buy my approval. 
You know what you need to do? You need to buy real gold. See, it's kind of reminiscent of what God said to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, starting in verse 1. Remember this verse where God said, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He's talking about salvation now. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What's he talking? He's doing the same thing Jesus is doing here. He goes on in Isaiah 55 verse 2. He says, why do you spend your money for what is not bread? You know, for non-essentials. Why do you spend your wages for on things that can't satisfy? Come to me. See, he was talking to a group of people back then. He could be talking to America today. Same thing. A group of people that were running around thinking money was going to buy them happiness and fulfillment and all the things that they wanted life to represent. And, and so they're, they're spending money feverishly on things that weren't essentials, luxuries and all kinds of other toys and like today gadgets and things. And God says, what are you doing? You're trying to find happiness. You're spending money like crazy on things that aren't essential and things that cannot satisfy. Isaiah 55 verse 3, what does he say? Come to me. That's always the answer. You want to be fulfilled. You want to be satisfied. You want to have a purpose in life. Come to Jesus. He's the good shepherd who will lead your life in the right ways, the right paths. And of course, if you know him as your shepherd, he will create within you an inner satisfaction. You can lie down in green pastures. A sheep would only lie down in green pastures if they were satisfied. And that's what it means to be a Christian, to look to God to be our, our sustenance, our, our, our all in all. Okay. But he said, I counsel you to buy from me, first of all, gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. And of course, Jesus is not speaking of literal gold. He's speaking of something that was spiritual, that had great wealth. I think he was talking in part of what Peter talked about in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 7. We have a lot of scriptures that I'm going to read, and I don't have time to have you turn to them. So just write down the reference. You can look them up later. I'll just read them to you. But in 1 Peter 1, verse 7, Peter said that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold. See, the idea spiritually, faith is so much more precious than earthly gold because faith connects us to God. And of course, God has unlimited resources and power. I mean, gold, what could you really use gold for? If you get terminally sick, is that gold going to help you? We can sure uh, buy a doctor's care, but human doctors can only do so much. But Peter said, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ and the dead. Back then, a goldsmith would take a lump of raw gold ore, put it in a pot, begin to heat it. And as it began to melt, it would release impurities. He would stir from time to time, which would help the impurities to flow to the surface. As the dross of the impurities floated to the surface, he would scrape it off. He would keep heating that gold, and as the impurities floated to the top, he would keep scraping off the dross until he could look into that pot of liquid gold and see his reflection. Then he knew it was perfect. It was ready to be used uh, for anything he wanted to fashion it into. The same is true with us. We gave our heart to Jesus Christ, but we were like raw lumps of gold in the eyes of God. Great potential for God to use us. 
but a lot of carnality and sin still mixed up in our hearts and things. Trials have a way of bringing things to the surface. You know, when you go through a trial and you really thought you had certain areas of your life conquered, you know, areas of the flesh, anger, fear, that kind of thing, and the trial comes and all of a sudden it has a way of releasing it, bringing to the surface things that you thought were gone. You're losing your temper. You're getting all worried. You're not trusting in the Lord. And you begin to say to yourself, boy, I really thought I had a handle on these things. But God saw the heart and said, no, there's a lot that's still there that I want to see. If I had to subject you to the trial, like if Peter likens to a fiery trial, because that's what the goldsmith did. He subjected the gold ore to the fire, which released the impurities. Trials have a way of releasing impurities and cause us to see things we didn't know were in our hearts. That's important because we can't confess our sins and seek God for the grace to overcome these things if we don't know they're there. So Peter says that this process of God refining our faith is so much more precious than even gold that's refined by literal fire. But in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, I love this section where the psalmist said, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. What? What is he talking about? Talking about the word of God, right? Those were all little phrases that really uh, were, uh, he was relating to the word. That the law of the Lord, the word of God, the testimony of the Lord, the word of God, the statutes of the Lord, all of that spoke of the word of God. This is more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold, he said, sweeter also than the honey, or than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned by the word of God. And in keeping God's commandments, there is great reward. So the call to the Laodiceans is to abandon the riches of the world and to embrace the true riches of God, which are the word of God and faith. Let me paraphrase what Jesus is saying. He is saying to this church now, this apostate liberal church that no longer believes in the power of the word of God, no longer believes in the deity of Christ. Today we see it. I mean, churches have these churches have replaced the teaching of the Word with psychology and the wisdom of man. They may read from the Bible that they only give it lip service. They don't really take it seriously. They don't think it has any power to change lives. But Jesus is saying to this church and to every church like it today, give the Word its proper place in your church and believe and obey what it says. That's true gold. That you embrace the word of God, give it its proper place in your fellowship, and then obey all that it says to do. Believe and obey. Then he talks about them buying white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Again, they were renowned for this black wool. And uh, it was a kind of a glossy black wool. And as such, when they made it into clothes... Uh, you know, it was kind of stylish. Everyone wanted to have, and I'm sure the people of Laodicea were the ones who wore this stuff the most. So you walk into the city, you saw all these people walking around with, they were, you know, making a fashion statement. 
We live here in Laodicea. Look at what we produce. We're famous for this in black, glossy garment. And Jesus said, yeah, you're walking around with these black, glossy garments. What you really need, it's indicative of where you are spiritually. There's a blackness to your spirituality. What you really need is white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. The uh, Laodiceans, because their church was such a liberal church, liberal churches today, I'm not saying they never do anything good. In fact, they are obsessed with social programs. You know, when they go to the mission field, a liberal church will dig wells, build schools, will teach people how to farm. You say, what's wrong with that? Nothing. That's wonderful. But if that's all you do and you leave there and don't give people Jesus Christ, all you're doing is helping people in this life. You're doing nothing for their eternity. And we might as well call, not call ourselves a church then. If that's all we're to do is to help people socially, then we're just like any other good social agency, the Red Cross or some other agency, UNICEF or some other organization that helps people physically. I'm not putting that down. The church is not to just feed the physical man or clothe the physical man. We are to preach the good news which can save the soul so that when these bodies do eventually wear out and die, those folks can move into heaven for eternity. That's what we're all about. But here was a church walking around, and of course, these liberal churches, they wrap themselves in these good social works. They are very proud of the fact that they do wonderful things to help others. But, as God says to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, Excuse me, Isaiah speaking. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, works of righteousness, are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. You know what? If the works that we do for God are not done for Jesus Christ and in the power of the Spirit, you know what? God doesn't even acknowledge them. All the good things that people do in the name of religion to help others, if they are not really done from a heart that's born again, and where the Spirit of God is is in them and He's directing them to do these things because God wants to reach them for Christ, and, and by feeding the body or clothing the body, it gives you an open door to preach the gospel. Jesus did that. He went around helping people. He fed them. He, you know, he, he ministered to physical needs, but only as a, a platform then to preach to them about their real needs, which were spiritual. And if people will clothe themselves in all their self-righteous works, you know what? God doesn't even see it. They're naked. God will not acknowledge our self-righteous deeds. Remember when uh, Abraham tried to help out God? God said, I'm going to give you a son. 25 years passed, or actually 13 years passed, and no son. And Abraham thought, well, maybe God wants me to help him. So he went ahead and took Hagar and went into her, and she bore him uh, Ishmael. Ishmael was a work of the flesh. When God makes you a promise, he doesn't need your help to fulfill the promise. You just need to be patient, wait for God to, you know, God's timing is perfect. We start getting impatient. We want to kind of expedite things. It's always a mistake, by the way. God makes you a promise. You just hang on to that. Thank him. As Mary pondered it in her heart, she didn't go out there and try to make it happen. She just pondered it in her heart. When God says it's time, it's going to be. But Abraham tried to help God. And uh, he uh, 
created an Ishmael. And later on, God did give to uh, Abraham and Sarah Isaac, who was the son of promise. Now, you remember how at one point then uh, God tells Abraham to take his son, his what? Only son, Isaac, and offer him on a hill that I will show you, Mount Moriah. And you remember the story. It's interesting, though, how when God spoke to Abraham, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. God did not acknowledge Ishmael because Ishmael was a work of the flesh. In God's eyes, he didn't even really recognize Ishmael in in the program of God. So when we do things in the flesh for God, even if they're uh, done out of good motives, if they're not done in the power of the Spirit, God doesn't even see them. And really, if we try to clothe ourselves in these works and say, look at me, God, look how right I am, look how good I am, God says, you're naked. It's like the Hans Christian Andersen story of the emperor's new clothes. He thought he was really styling, okay, because a couple of con artists convinced him that if, you know, he paid them X amount of money, then they would use magic uh, threads to create for him a beautiful, beautiful robe, but a robe that only the very wise could see. And so nobody wants to look like an idiot. Nobody wants to come across like a dummy. So as they were, you know, pretending to hold the, you know, fabric up and putting it on the king for fittings, all his people, advisors were all oohing and on. Oh, how beautiful. You know, and the king himself, you know, he didn't want to look like a fool. So he too was, you know, so eventually he takes his new clothes, quote unquote, and uh, has a big parade. And of course, everyone's oohing and on because everybody wants to seem very wise. Except for one poor slob on the corner looked at the king and said, the king is naked as a jaybird. <laughs> you know, isn't it kind of amazing how that Often intellectual people embrace some of the dumbest things. Yet they never they, they all want to appear intellectual to each other, so they're all ooing and eyeing. I it just amazes me how very intelligent people can embrace things like evolution. That they could believe that everything came from nothing all by itself. And yet when scientists and doctors study the human body, there are things that they can't even figure out yet. It's so complex. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything about us, everything about this world, this universe cries creation, designer, uh, you know, architect, uh, supreme being. It's not random. It's not, you know, chaotic. There's order. There is beauty. I mean, it's amazing. The things that people will cling to when they reject the truth. But... These garments, I mean, we have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about. Revelation 7, verse 14. At one point, um, we read the words, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. These are tribulation saints. And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You want to wear white garments? You want to take the black self-righteous garments of sin and self and replace them with something pure and clean, you've got to have the righteousness of Christ. That only comes by faith. Zechariah 3, verses 3 and 4. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity. God is speaking to this Joshua. I have removed your iniquity from you and will clothe you with rich robes. Talking about the robes of true righteousness. 
which can only come by faith. And then Revelation 19, verse 8, all those who have put their faith in Christ, who are members of the church of Jesus Christ, who are raptured up into heaven while the tribulation is going on on the earth. Revelation 19, we see now all the saints of Jesus Christ coming back uh, with the Lord to establish his kingdom. And it says of them in verse 8, Revelation 19, and to her it was granted, the bride of Christ, to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Righteous acts in the sense that once we are made righteous through our faith in Christ, then we go out and bear the fruit of righteousness. We go out there and we serve the Lord. Yes, it's great to serve the Lord once you're saved. But to go ahead and try to do works of goodness that was gonna, it's going to earn you your salvation, that's not going to happen. And then finally Jesus says, And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And again, Laodicea was famous for this ISAB they have developed. They had helped many to see physically, but didn't realize they themselves were blind spiritually. Again, this is the modern church. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day.